0: For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
2: This week's lawn Order Marathon winner is Aaron Duffy of Chichester, New Hampshire. Aaron will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com.
1: I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Bob Ruff. And these are their stories. You think you know who but you don't know who did it. Law and order, lie and, and order, law and order. It's no
0: ordinary
3: police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Lie and order, law and order, law and order, law
2: and order. These are their stories, these are their stories.
1: Welcome to These Are The Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit, Season 2, Episode 4, Legacy. We've been assuming the attacker is male because
4: of the sexual abuse. But suppose it was Jamie all along. It's possible his injuries aren't even sexual.
3: It's an interesting tactic. Abuse the kid, pin it on the ex, dad goes to jail, mom wins custody by default.
2: And if her
1: daughter dies in the process? Bonus. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers on and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Thanks for having me back, Kevin. I have no choice. I'm contractually obligated to have you here. <laughs>
2: contractually, with what contract? I haven't seen that contract.
1: Yeah, uh, it's called a uh, <laughs> it's called the wedding license. Uh, rounding out our panel is our special guest from the Truth and Justice podcast. It's Bob Ruff. Hello, Bob. Hey, hey. How are you guys? Bob, in addition to being a podcasting giant and a warrior against wrongful convictions, people might not know that you are also an aspiring stand-up comedian.
4: Yeah, that aspiring is the heavy on aspiring.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where where did that come from? Is that something you always had and? Or are you just like, I'm just doing too much of this true crime stuff. I have to get my head into something else. I'm always
4: looking to get my head into something else because I get really burned out uh, with the work that we do. And uh, to be honest, I think it was I never really thought about it, but it was It really Damien Eccles is the one that kind of pushed. I, I've always been interested in stand up and I've done a few mm-hmm. open mics. And uh, we were in Memphis um, for his hearing last June. The hearing went terribly. Everybody was upset. So we just went out for. Drinks and dinner and we were all sitting around and I was just telling stories and <laughs> and, and, and as you guys have been around me, that's what I do. I, I talk and, uh, and and Damien was, was like, dude, you should get on stage and tell these stories they are hilarious. And so that's my stand up is essentially me telling a bunch of true stories that mm. have happened to me in my ridiculous life.
1: Just like the moth. Yeah, exactly. I think like if, you know, if you're ever heckled, you can always say, hey, I know eight ways to frame you for a murder you didn't commit. <laughs> right.
4: Yeah. You know, what advantage of being a very large man is I rarely get heckled. I mean, people want to, but then
1: <laughs> <laughs> they think better of it. They're yeah, terrified. Yeah. Bob, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Uh,
4: Mariska Hargitay, I've been in love with since I was a young lad watching SVU. Nice. Uh, uh, and uh and iced tea. I, I I gotta be honest with you, I haven't watched enough I watched this episode, but I haven't watched enough Law and Order in the last, I don't know, fifteen years to remember uh all of the characters' names.
1: That's okay. You can always point to I like that guy.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Having a crush on Mariska though, it's not gonna lose you any fans, just FYI. <laughs> oh, I've always loved
4: Mariska. Yeah, she's 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 like the first actresses. I'm terrible at pop culture in general. And she was, like, the first actress that I, like, found her name. Like, like like used Google for the first time to find out what is uh, her name. Just so I could put a name on my crush.
2: Nice.
1: I, like, I you notice I just let it pass when he said he fell for her when he was a young man? Yes. I'm trying to do the math here, but... Uh,
2: He's very young.
1: I said young lad. I was 30. Uh, it oh, was, okay. <laughs> was... <laughs> young at heart. Young at yeah, heart. Yeah. <laughs> and who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial
3: team.
4: Isn't there? I don't know if she's a detective or um, if she was one of the prosecutors in one of the other franchises or this one, but but there was there was a character who she was deaf. I believe she was deaf in in real life as well, and uh, also had a crush on her. Uh, so her Marley what,
2: what? Matlin. She was actually a defense attorney. In defense one of attorney. The franchise.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yes. Yeah. That doesn't answer your question at all. But uh, we've cleared up all my uh, my law and order crushes.
1: Yeah. No, I I thought you were uh, first going towards the prosecutor who might have been a lesbian.
4: Is
2: this because I'm a lesbian? No, no one ever picked Serena Sutherland. Has anyone ever picked Serena Sutherland?
1: Yes, we had one Serena Sutherland. Oh,
2: that's right. It was so shocking. Yeah,
1: we never had her back.
3: Then, <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> so it just is are all these fr- Are
4: is Law and Order still by the this is when the when your listeners are wondering why you chose me as a guest. Uh, are these all still currently going? Are they making new episodes
1: of all the Law and yeah. as of right now? Yeah, SVU, they brought back Law & Order after it was off the air for 10 years. SVU's is uh, in
2: season 24 yeah. it's, it's right It is. It's got to be
1: one of the longest running shows on television. It
2: is. It's it is. Crazy. Except for like some soap operas, it is like the longest running show on television. It's wild.
1: Yeah, when you have a thousand episodes, you're never going to run out of podcasts.
2: <laughs>
4: right, there you go. That's smart. That That's good podcast production there.
2: Correct, and we're we're so rich because of this podcast. Bob. You have no idea. <laughs> I
4: bet you know every spinoff podcast I've done has made me millions as well. Exactly, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. This is this
2: is definitely our bread and butter for mm-hmm.
4: sure. Talking about
1: contractual <laughs> obligations. <dude>. Right. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. That's for you, season two, episode four. Legacy. Just to note, we're going to be talking about fictional detectives investigating a fictional crime against fictional people. And if you still find that especially heinous, you might want to consider a different episode. You
2: mean a fictional child? Is that what you're trying yeah. to say? <laughs> you might want
1: to consider now watching SVU. Jamie McKenna discovers her daughter Emily unresponsive in her bed.
2: Abuse is long term, but the head injury occurred in a 10 to 24 hour window prior to admittance. Looks
1: like she was molested, too. Rape kit turned up a hair and a nylon bristle embedded in abrasions to her backside. From what? Lab's working on it.
4: If the girl was good when her mom put her to bed, it had to be someone in the house.
1: Not necessarily. The bleeding was internal. Could have been hours before the symptoms showed. Emily's father, Denny, says he and Jamie are fighting over custody and he accuses her new husband, Randall, of molesting the girl. Jamie's aristocratic mother says her daughter had been in rehab when she and Denny met and had Emily. After Denny punched Randall, he was presented with an ultimatum, drop the custody claim or face assault charges. And he has until Friday to sign the papers. Finn learns Denny has booked two one-way tickets to Cuba, but the lab says he doesn't match the rape kit. Munch finds out that neither the school nor child services had sufficient evidence to investigate Emily's injuries. After Randall refuses, Cabot gets a judge to compel him to give a DNA sample. But before he can do so, Stabler learns he's been beaten into a coma. So we see Jamie go to Emily's room in the beginning, try to wake her up. And when she has trouble doing that, she bangs on this interior window, which looks down on the kitchen and fancy. the living room. Yeah. A glass wall and a bedroom. There is no chance anyone is going to have sex in that room ever. Right. Well, yeah. Well, they've got blinds. She
4: had, They had blinds pulled down over it. Yeah. Yes.
2: Just in case. No more show. Yes. And, you know, in a very clever bit of uh, plot obfuscation. She seemed so surprised <laughs> that she wasn't able to. Wake up, her daughter. It was amazing.
4: I was I was gonna ask. I I, I couldn't tell because it's been so long. If if some of the writing just doesn't hold up because it was done so long ago, or A if lot of the writing doesn't hold up, yeah.
2: No, that's just the show, Bob. That's just, that's the, just the, show. the show. Yeah, that's why it's high art.
4: Yeah, I was watching it with Becky, my wife, and like that first scene came out, when she's, and she's like, "Oh, look at the look at the stepson," and I was like, uh, "That's MacGuffin number one." Yes. Uh, yeah, a, You know, immediately it's not. And I think, I think in the, well, I don't want to give away the ending for anybody that's watching this, but I will say that I nailed it. It's been it. 22 years, Bob. <laughs> It's been 22 years. So, 22 years, you can spoil it? Because I said yeah, to my I wife it, in the yeah. first like three minutes of the show, I was like, well, they made the stepson too obvious, so he didn't do it. Uh, I'm going to guess mom did it. Yes. And then we watched the, and she told me I was, I was nuts. And then.
1: That's why you keep getting people out of jail.
4: Yeah, it's that brilliant investigative mind. <laughs>
1: So, for some reason, Munch thinks Denny's name is Desi. Which brings us back to Desi. Yes. (laughs) You got some explaining to do. (laughs) I don't know where. Yeah. But apparently, they both met in rehab. Jamie was there kicking an addiction to painkillers, and Denny was there teaching dance class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dance class and rehab? I thought it was diet pills. Didn't mom say diet pills? Yeah, well, whatever it was. But <laughs> it, was it was a fancy I addiction. think you're missing the bigger point yeah. about rehab. They have dance class and rehab? <laughs> yeah.
4: I think some rehabs have dance classes, right? Probably not the one they were at. Well, no, because she was rich, right? She was a, like a rich aristocrat yeah. lady. Yeah.
1: yeah so to, is this
4: uh, rehab or a cruise ship?
2: She went to fancy rehab. Yeah, fancy think,
4: rehab, yeah. <laughs> she went to Hollywood rehab.
2: But they bring a Desi to do dance classes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Next thing, they're going to be in the swimming pool with those big foam noodles and
2: doing
1: a sides.
2: I like how the mother, though, feels like she has to clarify, like, my daughter had a fancy addiction. Drug abuse. Did that start at an early age?
0: Make us sound like a common junkie.
2: They were prescription drugs, diet pills. So she had a weight problem. A discipline problem. It wasn't one of those right. poor people's addictions. It was to something that was acceptable that I can tell my friends about at cocktail parties.
4: And she's so, so she's so as this righteous indignation about like, how dare you? You make her sound like a common junkie. She was actually addicted <laughs> to diet pills. You like, <laughs> like, oh, well, that's better. She then. was an elevated junkie. She was trying yeah. to be
2: thin to please her mother, who was mm-hmm. always complaining she was too fat because right. she was
1: <laughs> but really, I gotta ask, how good can you get at the jitterbug in 28 days?
2: <laughs>
1: Do you think that's what he's doing? About a lot jitterbugging? A jitterbugging. <laughs> a little pasta doble. He's from
2: Cuba. Come on.
1: He's from Cuba. Yeah, doing the tango. Yeah. The tango, the horizontal mambo, apparently. Was, Something like that? Yeah. He's coming. He's like, hey, I got a new dance to teach you. It's called the DTs. Everybody starts shaking. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Kevin. Kevin, you didn't put that in the disclaimer.
4: No, go hell. <laughs> right. Do you he have to warn people ahead of time when, he, when, he, when he's going to make it? Remember,
1: a, it's at Kevin A, P a detox, detox Flynn. joke. Right. Detox. Yeah, at
4: Kevin, not me. I, I had nothing to do with that joke.
1: <laughs> so Jamie has this rich mother, right? And she's the kind of rich mother that. You have a man in a suit pouring coffee for everybody as you're talking about all these horrible things in your family. And if you look around the room, she has all these framed photographs with inscriptions. And right next to Stabler there's a big framed photo of Bill Clinton hmm. signed. 100 yeah. percent, she's not a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not 100% sure Bill Clinton's a Democrat, to, <laughs> right. to be clear.
4: <laughs> I did notice how, I mean, that was it was a brilliant scene setting for them because, you know, they they let you know that she had big connections without telling you. You're just, you know, mm. you just saw I it. know the
2: president.
4: Yeah, I the camera, that. does the Ken Burns zoom in on the presidential <laughs> picture back there?
1: There was an inscription, and I think it said something like, Hey, send that troublemaking daughter of yours my way. (laughs) I heard she fucked the dance teacher. (laughs) So we have a couple of Hey It's That guys. Hey, it's that guy. Can you tell me who is playing Desi? I mean, Denny, Emily's father. Anybody know that actor? I don't know his name,
2: but I know what I've seen him in before.
3: I wanted to talk to him. He is a father. I thought I could shame him into
1: leaving my daughter alone. All right, that's Yancey Arias. You will know him as, well...
2: He was the mayor in Bosch.
1: Exactly. Yes, he was. <laughs> Which is oh, a show wow. I
2: hated, but I remember him as being the mayor in Bosch.
1: He was also General Cortez in Queen of the South. Uh, he had been offered the role of Eva Longoria's husband, Carlos, on Desperate Housewives. Oh. But he turned that down because he was in a pilot for a CBS show that did not get picked up. So hmm. he chose unwisely. Hmm. How about the actor playing Emily's stepdad, Randall? Did he look familiar? He looked familiar to me. Why is that? Because he played Ryan
2: Harrison on Another World, Yeah, which is like one of my favorite soap operas of all time that yeah. was on NBC for a really long time, and I was devastated when it was canceled in 1999.
1: Bob and I didn't watch that because we have a thing.
2: Come on. Yeah, I, Come on. I
1: missed it. I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the actor's name is Paul Michael Valley. I guess from now on he'll be talking to my lawyer now, if you'll excuse me, I'm already late for my meeting. Yes, he played Ryan Harrison on another world. He was shot to death by his brother Grant. Grant. yeah <laughs> God damn it, all right.
2: His love interest was Vicky, who was a set of twins, and Vicky was played by. And Haish.
4: Did he only die once? Isn't that the whole... That's the thing at soap operas, right? They die and come back and die and come back.
2: I think there may have been a fake death at one point where everyone thought is. he was dead. Yeah, yeah oh that, that happens to literally everybody on Soaps, so though. That's a very safe bet that I just said that. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> 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 so on his Twitter, uh, Paul supports a lot of liberal and humanitarian causes, but his best tweet is a coupon with which you can get two hundred forty nine dollars Ray-Ban sunglasses for twenty four bucks, and it takes you to a website that puts a virus on your computer. Oh no! Oh wow! Paul. Yeah. Thanks, Obama. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> you can't trust those damn liberals in the Ray-Ban. <laughs> yeah. You want to look cool? You just can't do it. <laughs> How about can you name the actor playing Justin, Emily's douchey stepbrother? All I know is everything was fine until she showed up. Now it all sucks. Why can't they both just go away and leave us alone? He
4: actually looked familiar to me.
1: That guy's name is Adam Zolotin. He was Eddie Haskell in the reboot of the Leave It to Beaver movie. Okay. But he also played Lewis, Robin Williams' best friend in the movie Jack. You remember this movie? No. It was the one in which the kid's 10 years old, but he ages. So fast that he looks like he's 40, and then he goes to school for the first time, and he he makes friends. It's it's a Robin Williams thing, so you can imagine.
2: That sounds so weird.
1: Yeah. Apparently the kid had what they called Kragan syndrome. Do really, you know how old Cragen is in this episode?
2: The ball guy Craig. You yeah. know the you know what is. I'm just orienting five. Is
1: he twenty <laughs> He's four? Fifty. <laughs> <laughs> he always looks the same. Yeah. How <laughs> about this? How old do you think J.K. Simmons is in this episode?
2: Twenty two. Forty five.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's sixty five.
2: He always looks they always look the same. Like when you fl- fast yeah. forward to when he won the Oscar, he looks no different. He doesn't look any different than he does in this episode.
1: We do have a Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, It's That Girl. Who's playing the rich grandmother, Lois Huntington?
2: I think that's a Hey, It's That Woman.
0: Hey,
1: It's That Woman, yes. I don't know. She was daddy's little girl,
0: and she took full advantage. She finally became so incorrigible, I sent
1: her to boarding school. Well, her name is Jean DeBear. Her most enduring roles are on the ABC After School special and on the CBS School Break special. Which, by the way, is just the laziest ripoff of a name from any other show. Yeah. Oh, they're the after school special. We'll be the school break special, (laughs) which is exactly the same thing.
2: So you have to go back to
1: school after you watch it? That's right. Not till the next day, though. Not till the next day. (laughs) It's the recess special. That's why it's only 25 minutes long. (laughs) Uh, Some of her roles in that she played the horrified mom of a daughter who falls for the English teacher in It's No Crush, I'm in Love. (laughs) That's. That title's a little bit on the nose. The Mary Kay
2: Letourneau story.
1: (laughs) The horrified mom of an 18-year-old boy who gets his 16-year-old girlfriend pregnant in Teen Father. Ooh. And the horrified mom in What If I'm Gay? (laughs) <laughs> her son, the. M- She's really been typecast, sounds she like. She has, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this one, her son, the macho captain of the soccer team, is outed when his buddies find his male pornography in his room. Oh, how horrible. This is why I don't lend my phone to anyone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow, horrible for her. Wow.
4: She crossed over. She went from the after school specials to the school break specials. Yeah. She has some some great range, sounds yeah. like, just from yeah. everything you've just mentioned that I've never seen all of them. Yeah. It. It's
2: like those characters from As the World Turns going over to another world, CBS to NBC. Big deal.
1: I know. The world's upside down.
4: God damn! Could you imagine one of the housewives going from like Atlanta to New Jersey or something?
2: Yeah, and they had to fight wild.
1: and argue oh, with a different group of ladies. Somebody knows his pop culture. He's exactly. been holding out. He just showed
2: oh. us the one little pocket of it that he's totally familiar my,
4: with. My, yeah, my <laughs> <laughs> all I know about those is my wife watches all of them, and she will not let me in the room with because every. I know a guy that worked on one of the Housewives shows. As as I think he was a boom man or something, and he was telling me how every single scene is completely. Set, like it's hours of lighting and setting up, and then uh. they tell them what to come in and argue about, and then then action, and they come in and do it. So every time they're arguing, I just walk in and go, Oh my goodness, are they arguing again? How long did he think I to, took him to set that up? And then she. Oh, you're ruining
2: it for Becky.
1: That's not yeah. fair. Yeah.
4: yeah, I ruined. I try to ruin everything for. As much That's that why part.
1: you were kicked out of the room. <laughs> yes, not allowed in. Do the not room ruin. She's watching me, her yeah. housewives. <laughs> did you happen to recognize the social worker?
5: We followed procedure. And that lets you sleep at night. I haven't had a good night's sleep in 10 years.
1: That woman is Michelle Hurst. Nine Law & Order Universe appearances. She played stone-cold killer Miss Claudette in Orange is the New Black. Okay. She was Piper's original Bunky. She ended up leaving that show after a serious car accident. She was in a coma for 16 days. Holy shit. Yeah, she ended up coming back for a cameo in the end. But she recovered, obviously, continued her career with appearances on Chicago Med, Digstown, and a return appearance on SVU. And
4: her character here has not had a good night's sleep in 10 years. It's That's right. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough.
2: Yeah. Nor have any of the children that she's supposed to be looking after. <laughs> uh, exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, my bottom hurts. Oh. <laughs> Did you happen to recognize, lastly, the actress playing the school principal, Miss Dunlap?
0: No. I'm required
2: by law to report any injury, even those that can be attributed to simple stress or prepubescent clumsiness. I'm not doing well except for the soap opera one. All
1: right. <laughs> I haven't recognized a single person. <laughs> well, that actress is Anne McDonough. Three Law & Order Universe appearances. She is the proud mother of Betty Gilpin. Really? From Nurse Betty Masters of Sex and three-time Emmy nominee for playing... Liberty Bell in Glow. glow. yes. I love
2: Betty Gilpin.
1: And Anne is the husband of repeat offender Jack Gilpin. Yeah, I love her. By the way, Betty Gilpin will star in the upcoming Mrs. Davis on Peacock, playing a rogue nun out to defeat an artificial intelligence bot trying to destroy the world. Okay. I heard that the finale was written by ChatGPT, so I guess you know who wins that. So there's a lot of great munch in this episode, and I want to talk about a little more of it at the end. But we see him interviewing this cute little girl to get information about Emily. Can we talk about your friend, Emily?
0: It's not nice to talk behind people's backs.
1: That's true.
4: But I think it would be okay just this one time. You know, Emily's hurt, and we're trying to help her. You want to help her too, don't you?
1: Yeah. Good. And when he's done, he's stuck in this little kid's chair. <laughs> Why doesn't that happen all the time? <laughs> They're always interviewing kids. They're always down low with crayons. They're not in like real-sized chairs. Yeah. They all should be, uh, you know, have back injuries and things. Yes. Maybe, maybe. well, this was early
4: in the universe, so maybe they maybe they tried it in this one, and it didn't test well, so they never did it
1: again.
2: I like how they acknowledge he's old. Like, that's a really nice <laughs> acknowledgement because he's really old in the entire, entire show, right? He's super old. And I have a serious question. Yeah. No one can go to Cuba. How the fuck is this guy going to Cuba?
1: Well, he's going to Quebec and then flying from Canada. Oh, that's, I, that's a detail I missed. I yeah. missed that.
2: I'm sorry. I was so like completely taken aback by the idea that he's like telling. Why is he telling her? She's a child. If you have a plan to kidnap your child, you don't tell the child you're kidnapping them.
4: And, and the route. Oh, wait, no, they found the, they, they found the route through the when they, through the, uh, the flight logs. They found,
1: yeah. So they here found
2: I, have, the... I have a plan. I'm going to commit a crime by kidnapping you. Don't tell anyone,
1: right. especially
2: not your best friend, Jennifer.
1: Yeah. yeah, by the way, Jennifer, she knew right away not to be a narc. <laughs> like, I don't think I should tell. For 30 seconds, and then yeah. she flipped. Like,
2: <laughs> immediately yeah. she flipped. Easy to break, very easy to break.
1: Yeah.
4: All you had to do was go, it's okay, I'm her friend. Oh, okay then. Well, here's everything she's
1: ever told me. Jennifer (laughs) would be
2: super easy to kidnap herself. I think. That's right. Oh yeah, she would have went
1: with Munch. (laughs) Well, we do have a crossover.
0: Crossover,
3: crossover.
1: Yeah, it's only season two, so it's it's too early to bring in Wong.
3: Bring in Wong.
1: So instead, they bring in Skoda. So he comes up with this profile, because apparently anybody can be a profiler. Child abusers are generally
4: adept at manipulating emotions and shading perceptions. But in this case, the abuser had to contend with two separate social and familial groups, one of which presumably offered a safe haven. That requires some finely tuned social radar. He says
1: the abuser is either a low achiever or the head of a Fortune 500 company. It
2: is so profiley. It's like, yeah. so... It's either a white man in his 30s or a Latino woman in her 60s. And I am saving lives by giving you this profile. (laughs) It could be either one of these things. It is so typical.
4: (laughs) And then he comes in at the end and was like, yep, told you. <laughs> That's
2: not what you. What? And, and it didn't help at all in any way. No. <laughs> it's a pretty
4: broad spectrum. From three details of the case, and was like, oh well, obviously it's it's uh, a human. is basically right. what he said. Yeah. Right. right. You know who
2: solved the case? A cop. And then later it was like, he was like, yes, that made sense when I retroactively. Put yeah. together some details that I didn't tell you at the time when I was actually brought in to do the job. Yeah, which is the most profilery thing ever. He,
1: <laughs> it really is. I think you said it could be either a man or a woman, hmm. but he didn't say that till after they
4: thought it was a woman. That's
2: right. <laughs> That's <true. Yes. laughs> exactly.
4: Well, that was because that was all writing. They just couldn't. They couldn't give that away to anybody who hadn't figured it out yet.
2: You know, I was thinking that I just didn't say it out loud at the time.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> If you'd given me more time to explain myself, I would have gotten eventually to that point. Well, Emily has this guardian angel. He's the minister of protocol for the mission of Brunei. So basically a low level diplomat who came to America to meet young girls and then take them to the Lion King. I don't
2: understand this. Okay, why isn't social services concerned that this family is just letting their daughter go off with this strange man all the time to like.
4: He's rich. Didn't you see his apartment?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rich people don't do bad things.
2: You're right. What was I thinking? Yeah. You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah, I mean those are mezzanine seats too, so you know. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> And, you know, Bernays doesn't have like a bad reputation or anything or stuff like this is concerned. And
1: you caught that it was like a, it was
4: a Sunday and he took her to like a four o'clock show. Like, like it's like he intentionally didn't go to the matinee because he didn't want to look like he wanted the discount.
1: So he went you know, <laughs> It's like, no, 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 we're not. And he had to get three seats. And that's an odd number. You know, the box office was like, well, you know, what are we going to do with this row? <laughs> By the way, the uh, the minister of protocol, basically he is the Brunei version of C-3PO, right? He just does the <laughs> protocol stuff. He recognizes Finn's first name as uh, Tutuola.
3: Odafin Tutuola. Oh,
1: Tutuola, the gentle one. You know, you Ruben. In my business, one tends to know a little about a lot. But he did miss that his last name, Odafin, is Uroba for Establisher of Laws. And apparently, he completely missed his middle name, which translates to, that's messed up. (laughs) By the way, this episode holds the record for the most number of people in comas. Kids, stepdads, even the actors. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. But the lingering question I have is, how do you get a semen sample from a guy
5: in a coma? Oh. Huh. Exactly the way you think. VR training
0: platforms, like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International, are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
5: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
1: Now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. After Munch and Tutuola find a bloody t-shirt in the apartment, they arrest Denny. He admits beating Randall, believing he was the one who hurt Emily.
3: He said that Jamie's mother... New people at the state department that i was already as good as gone then what next thing i know i, I was on top of him hitting him again and
0: again Till i realized that he wasn't moving anymore
1: dna on a brush bristle recovered from emily's attack shows it's not randall but someone in his bloodline his son justin says his dad and stepmom never stopped fighting, his stepsister never stopped crying, but he was not the one who assaulted her. Munch wants to know why no one has found any medical records of Emily's injuries. The squad learns Emily had been examined at different hospitals under different aliases accompanied by a woman. Is it possible the abuse was just deployed to set up Denny and win the custody case? Skoda says it's more likely Jamie is just seeking sympathy. Munch confronts Jamie with her own child services report, showing the office didn't investigate her childhood abuse because her father was a powerful man. John bluffs, saying Emily is out of a coma and talking, but asks Jamie to fill in the details. She says to make her daughter stop crying, she dashed her head against the wall. Despite getting the confession, Munch is despondent. He tells Olivia Emily reminded him of an abused girl from his neighborhood he wished to go back and save. In the end, Munch visits Emily in the hospital and reads to her from the Dr. Seuss book, everyone gets as a graduation gift because it's cheaper than giving a check. <laughs> <laughs> right, here's a tip for all the would-be criminals out there. Uh, if you bring your bloody T-shirt home, don't hang it in your armoire. <laughs> yeah, that was
4: a weird. We didn't get to see what was going. But he opens the armoire and just pulls out. It, it looked like it had bloody footprints on it. For some, did you notice that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it was perfectly pressed. Yeah. You know, it wasn't crumpled up in a ball like anybody's laundry. He was just like holding it like an apron.
2: Denny is a smart guy. With a terrible, terrible track record of covering up his crimes. That's right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like this is a very, very fundamental thing to do. Throw away the shirt with the blood on it. Right. Yeah, Not, yeah. not rocket science.
4: Why bring it home? Well, he, but remember, he said he was his intention was to go turn himself in. So maybe right. he didn't care. He's like, but that's Golden Boy.
1: You gotta <laughs> save Golden Boy. Yeah. It's his
4: working shirt. It's probably you know that, that might have been that might have been the shirt that he was wearing for all the other assaults, and he's just collecting you know he.
1: <laughs> it's my lucky beat up shirt. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Can we just talk for a second about my favorite scene in the episode? What's that? Dick Justin getting oh. interrogated by Dick Elliot Stabler and still having an attitude like. Justin, we know this is a pain in the ass for you. Just meet us halfway, maybe we can help you out. Whatever.
1: You said that you didn't hurt your stepsister. I didn't. But your stepmother said that you were the only one that was alone with her that night.
2: Yeah, for about two minutes. Okay, Jamie says she was gone for an hour. Maybe she was.
1: All right, that's that's enough, enough.
2: What will it take for this teenager to stop being a teenager for, like, one second?
1: Uh, him stop being a teenager.
2: He's in police custody, and he's still like, come on. Like, he's still, (laughs) like, what you are... What is the matter with
0: you? I'm,
4: it never ceases to amaze me how, how writers, especially back then, lean into those stereotypes so so bad that they – like like, no – listen, I'm working a wrongful conviction case out of California right now on truth and justice, and it involves teenagers. And I have listened to interrogations of 35 teenagers on multiple occasions, and none of them – like they're, um, As soon as they're in front of a cop, they're like, I'm oh, sorry. What? Like,
1: nobody <laughs> fucking acts like this kid. Nobody nope. does. Rebecca, I want you to know that this kid, Justin, is in jail for a crime he didn't commit, and even Bob Ruff won't get him out.
4: <laughs> no, fuck that
1: kid. He can just stay there. <laughs> Jamie and Randall have a third child, a young son who is nonverbal. And so while the cops are talking to Jamie, Finn is playing with the kid on his lap, with his firearm just swinging around underneath <laughs> his arm. <laughs> yep.
2: Yeah, the plot device of the non-verbal third child was very confusing to me.
4: I didn't understand what what was his purpose is for. You know, usually a character or something has some way to move the story forward. All we got from him was at one point he stood in a doorway and looked at them in the room, and that was it. That's all we got from him. He's yeah.
2: straight up children of the corn dust from the corner of the room <laughs> yeah. is what he did, and for a second. I thought as an audience member, did that two-year-old kill his sister? Like, for real? Because they made it for a second look like.
4: Yeah. That's the only thing I could think of was it was like the, <laughs> like, like the fourth MacGuffin that they throw in there. It's like, yeah. here's another clue. Maybe it was yeah. this
1: four-year-old child that did, that did this. Uh, good luck getting a confession out of him. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, you, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, Kevin I, P. Flynn. That's at- right. <laughs> well, later Finn says,
4: Too bad our only other witnesses are either mute or in a coma.
2: Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Mute.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what homicide detectives always say. Too bad our witness is dead. It could be really <laughs> helpful with who shot him. Could you imagine
4: how many more crimes would be solved if they weren't?
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he was tall. <laughs> uh, so Munch finds a clue that will lead them to all the medical facilities that Emily had been secretly getting treatment at. It's a keychain made from a hospital medical bracelet. Why is that the only thing you can make a keychain with? I don't get and it. And what did the key go to? It was a teeny tiny <laughs> little, a like, a, like
4: a suitcase luggage key.
1: She's six years old. What does she need a key to? <laughs> <laughs> They're right. not letting her go anywhere. She doesn't have a safe deposit box.
4: <laughs> all I would think is someone who has to access records all the time, I would love to know how they went to it. So they said she paid with cash and used an alias. At every hospital and always went to different hospitals and they found the records at like all those different hospitals in three minutes. Mm -hmm. Is there in there and how did they use it? They're, They're like, well, same fracture in the leg, same blood type.
2: That's a really good point. They don't know what name to look for. How would they, they find the record? They
4: said it was because she had the same fracture on her leg and the same blood type. So they're like, oh, I well, let's, let's just cross-reference this with our blood type. Uh in New database. York, City. Uh, yeah, and then cross-reference that home with, to
1: four million people. Yeah.
4: O <laughs> negative. She's O-negative <laughs> and has a broken left leg. And Yahtzee, there it is. There she is. There's all every time she went to the hospital.
1: And paid with cash. Oh my god. Yeah. By the way, do you see how long that medical bracelet was? How big are her wrists? Very big. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's a monster. Was she wearing it around her neck or something? She's a monster. She's a monster. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Well, they never really showed her wrists.
1: Yeah, it's true. (laughs) She always under a blanket. She's a little bitty girl, but she could have had giant wrists. She's getting the gains, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We picked this episode because it's a particularly good one for Richard Belzer as John Munch, RIP Richard Belzer. He has a very good scene eliciting Jamie's confession.
4: Emily came out of her coma a few hours ago. She told us everything. She wants to see you. But uh, first, you and I have a couple of details we need to straighten out.
1: And then he heads up to the roof of the building where Olivia finds him. And he tells the story of how Emily reminded him of this little abused girl who used to be across the street from in his old neighborhood and died when uh, mom pushed her through a a plate glass window.
4: She told my mother she didn't understand what the fuss was about. She was the one that had to get a new window. Months later, I'd come home and I'd look up at the porch. I swear, I saw that little girl standing there looking at me with that look.
1: I almost let her down again. So this is an emotional performance, and one that I don't think we really saw enough of from Munch on SVU.
2: Right, because the writing on SVU is fucking terrible, as established.
1: You know, his character is certainly memorable for a lot of reasons. One was that the character was first developed in the TV show Homicide, which was a lot grittier and is a little more the tone of his dialogue in this scene is more reminiscent of Homicide than it is of any of the Law and Order stuff. Yeah. So this episode ends with Munch visiting Emily in her hospital room and bringing her Dr. Seuss. This was the book that had been in her bedroom. He takes it and reads. On you will
4: go, though the weather be foul.
1: On you will go, though your enemies prowl. Oh, the places you will go! Like foster care. (laughs)
2: Because just what Emily needs is another creepy old man in her life. Yes. (laughs) One more.
1: Well, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip From The Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did
2: it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it.
3: Rip From
0: The Headlines.
3: Plot points for this episode are taken from the story of Elisa Izquierdo. At her birth in 1989, Elisa's mother, Awilda Lopez, was addicted to cocaine Her father, Gustavo, won full custody of the girl. Thanks to a rich patron, Elisa was able to attend a private Brooklyn preschool. At the time, Lopez had quit drugs, remarried and sought custody of her daughter. The court awarded her weekend visits, but the mother had resumed her drug use. Elisa would return from her visits with bruises and claim she was locked in a closet. Despite testimony from teachers and Elisa herself, a judge refused to limit Lopez's visitations. Gustavo purchased plane tickets to take his daughter to his native Cuba, but he was diagnosed with lung cancer and died before they could leave. Lopez took full custody of Elisa. Teachers reported escalating signs of abuse to the city welfare office. Neighbours heard Elisa screaming. Even her half-siblings told adults about the beatings. Despite burns, fractures and signs of emotional trauma, New York City officials didn't intervene. In 1995, the six-year-old was found dead at home. Her mother accused of dashing her head into a concrete wall. The public was outraged at the story of prolonged abuse and the failure of authorities to act, prompting efforts to reform the child protection system. Awilda Lopez pleaded guilty to the second-degree murder of Elisa Izquierdo. She's currently serving a 15-years-to-life sentence at the Bedford Hill Correctional Facility.
0: So uplifting.
1: Yeah, so the turning point for Elisa seems to be that her mother got clean... And asked for visitation. Now, if we support parental rights and support the reintegration of uh, former addicts, was the judge actually wrong at the time to give the visitation or not? What do you think?
2: Oh, uh, people who have had substance use issues should absolutely be able to see their kids in most circumstances. What wasn't right was after she was being abused to ignore it. That's what yeah. the turning point was.
4: Yeah, I agree. Like, But like if there start to be signs of abuse reported, then you know, maybe yeah. time to reevaluate.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But substance use issues is not a character flaw. It's a disease. No. It's you know what I mean? And so like people are people can have substance issues and be wonderful parents and have every good intention in the world. Um, that was obviously not the case here.
1: Well, I mean, if you think about it, there's there's no indication that even if she were sober, that she wouldn't Correct. abuse the child. And she wasn't you abusing know. the
2: other kids, right?
1: Uh, no, she wasn't abusing uh, her other kids, so the stepkids. Weird. Yeah, it ended up being, you know, and you've seen this dynamic in, bl- I don't want to say blended, yeah, blended families where someone comes in and if it's not that father's, you know, blood child, that sometimes that's where the abuse so strange. goes. The stepfather, Carlos Lopez, he had an alibi for the time of Elisa's death. He was in jail for stabbing a 16 times.
2: Oh, my God.
1: Oh, please? this is
2: horrible. This tower story is horrible.
1: After moving in with the the mom and having her hair all cut off, she had a broken shoulder and she walked with a limp. She told teachers that she'd been locked in a closet and made to drink from the toilet. Oh my god. Now the welfare part department said it couldn't investigate because there was no direct sign of abuse or neglect. Now, I think this is a story the essentially that we've seen over and over again, which is that there is a child at risk. Everybody agrees that the system and, you know, the government should be able to go in and help, but they don't for reasons I, either because they don't have the resources or because they don't take it seriously enough.
2: What is a direct a sign of abuse or neglect other than a child with a broken limb, shaved hair and testimony yeah, that they're I don't drinking get that? The you said
4: that she said that's what was happening, right?
1: Yeah. And the teachers and a lot of other people supported Gustavo's sister who tried to sue for custody after Gustavo died because th- this was the big issue here. I mean, Gustavo at least was, you know, the stable influence in her life. Yeah. And everybody agreed to that. And again, the judge was criticized later for, you know, keeping not keeping him
2: with the parents, keeping
1: Yeah. Keeping him with with the, the mom.
2: Oh.
1: So did the procedures need to be reformed or, or does the agency just really need reasonable staffing? And and uh, qualified staffing in order to make a difference here, Bob. What do you think?
4: Well, there are so many bad, ugly cases in both directions. I don't. What's it called? Uh, do no harm. I think was the name of the the Wonder pie. I had uh, Mike Ball, I think was his name, the host of that. I had him on on my other show, True Crime Binge, and we were talking about this. And it was you know because that that show was where they went the other way, where they were like taking kids away from families who hadn't abused them. They were just legitimate mm-hmm. injury. And, and there's lots of cases of that. So I don't know what the answer we had, We had a lot of long discussions about that, but what do you do? Because there's so many cases. My wife works at a school uh, for emotionally impaired children. There's a lot. And a lot of them come from some pretty terrible circumstances. And she's always complaining. Like there's stuff like they report. And then the kid shows up for school the next day and parents are still with them. And it's like, mm. CPS will never take them away. And she's like, why aren't they doing something? And then on the other hand, you have families that get the kids taken away when there is no legitimate abuse. I I don't know what the answer is. It, yeah. It's a tough job.
2: It is a tough job. And there's a lot of over-policing of communities of color, like in, in this in an area in particular, where there is resourcing for a social safety net. But the bottom line is, like, the resourcing for social safety nets sucks in yeah. this country. And those jobs, those, like, CPS jobs, pay so poorly mm-hmm. that there's, like— almost no incentive to do them and then there's even less incentive to do them well yeah and then and then when you add to that people who even are earnest and want to do them well, there are so few people handling so many things. It's like the whole system is completely broken. I mean, yeah, I mean you don't, can
1: hardly find enough waiters these yeah, days. What was that and, documentary
2: you know, we watched about Los Angeles? There was a boy, it was it was a oh, story about this, and it yeah. was like a four-part thing. And it was a story like this where it was just a whole systemic look. It had to do with underfunding, it had to do with, you know, cheating on the stats, it had to like, it was like all it was like all these factors went into play. And like you can have a well-meaning. That I don't think that happened in this case, but you could have a well-meaning, you know, reform-minded person saying, "I don't want to over-police this community," and then make a mistake, mm-hmm. or you could have a completely broken, fucked-up system. And it sounds like here we had some people who just made some horrible choices.
4: Yeah, and the ra- and race plays into it too. Did either of you guys? Did mm-hmm. you guys listen listen to "Do No Harm" when it came out? It was a couple of years ago. No, but I'm going to. It's really good. But but in that one, you know, you find out that there is, you know, the story is about this black family who went through these this horrible ordeal and then you get at the end of that you get a parallel to a white family with almost identical circumstances mm-hmm. and the child was removed from the black family and wasn't removed from the white family i mean it, it it certainly does play a role and and mike shares the a lot of statistics on that too on the
1: show Do you want to know who the rich patron was who took a shine to Alisa to get her into this private school? Do I? Jeffrey Epstein. No. <laughs> No. no. Good guess, no. though. Right. That was horrible. <laughs> it was it was Prince Michael of Greece and Denmark. What? Yeah. Gustavo uh, was always in bad health, and Elisa was this great student at her Montessori preschool. And the staff introduced the two of them to the prince, who was a patron of that school. And when he arrived, uh, Elisa just jumped into his arms and stayed by his side the whole day. And so he was, he was smitten with her. He offered to pay her tuition to Brooklyn Friends, which is a very exclusive school. He was going to pay her tuition until 12th grade. He sent Christmas gifts and he wrote a letter to the judge on behalf of Gustavo's uh, cousin in the custody case. And then he also flew from Europe to attend her funeral.
2: Even a prince couldn't get this shit done.
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> the papers love the idea of calling it a Cinderella story. You had a prince, you had a dead oh, father, god. stepmother. This you know, is
2: horrible. This is horrible. But I will say, unlike a lot of the episodes we've done, this one really tracks. It
1: tracks an awful so these lot. These stories, yeah.
2: you have like the foreign dignitary. You have, I mean, they 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 stuck with yeah, the plot points. Yeah,
1: fleeing to Cuba. Everything. Oh like my that. god! By the way, I have never had a patron like the prince, but I do have a listener who offered me twenty bucks for photos of my feet. <laughs> Did you send That is going to do it for us. Yeah, I'm going to send him right yeah. now. We want to thank our guest, Bob Ruff. How can our listeners follow you online? Uh, I'm at Bob Ruff Truth everywhere. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you?
2: I'm everywhere at Kevin P. Flynn. Oh, shut up.
1: <laughs> you can tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. All clips on this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Go to LawAndOrderPodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to To be our next Law and Order marathon winner, these Are Their stories was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Studio, and is a production of Partners in Crime Media.
5: Partners Partners in Crime Media. Media. BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022